the Pilot TV podcast this week, Boyd and I will be recording the show topless in honour of the new season of Poldark, so do try not to let the thought of our washboard abs and chiselled pecs distract you from the rest of the show. We're also catching up with Sarah Jessica Parker, Thomas Hayden Church and possibly some other famous trinomes as we navigate their extramarital affairs in season three of HBO's Divorce. Finally, we'll be venturing into some much darker territory with BBC's Dark Money. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show which has no time for your summer or outdoor pursuits as we turn our noses up at the bubbling thermostat and retreat back indoors to a darkened room in order to watch countless hours of TV just as nature intended. Crawling out from their viewing caves for the time it takes us to record this podcast are my two square-eyed compatriots. First up, a man whose early years were chronicled to humorous effect in the early 1980s where Molly Sugden played his mother. I refer, of course, to ITV's 1981 show, That's My Boyd. Oh, it's that's Boyd very Hilton. Good. That's one of your best. I was just, well, where is he going with that? <laughs> I bet you didn't didn't expect. I was very fond of Molly Sugden. M- Molly in, Sugden to feature on the podcast. You, didn't, and I'm very fond of Molly Sugden. And are you being served? I was brought up on Are You Being Served. Did you ever watch That's My Boy? I must have watched some of it, but I don't remember it very well. Would you like to hear a, a story about that? Sorry, with Ronnie Corbett. No, not no. really. Yeah, I would like to it was about story. her and an adopted son who she got. Were you in? That's my boy. Yeah. How old do you think I am? <laughs> Uh, no, like but I, I will say a thing that happened uh, when I was a little boy. A friend came round to play, and he rang on the door of my house to see if I was in to play, and I wasn't actually in. I was coming home from school, and my grandma thought it was me, and she opened the door and went. She sang the theme. She went, "That's my boy," which was the theme tune to "That's my boy," and then she saw it was someone else, and it was horribly embarrassing, and they ribbed me mercilessly for many weeks thereafter. That is extraordinary. So you were bullied by Molly Sugden in person. Yeah, yeah. So Molly Sugden, you have a lot to answer That's for. Like... Uh, also joining us this week is not Molly Sugden, but rather a woman who, quite frankly, has an awful lot of banshee box sets to get through, but has, as yet, still not cracked open the Downton Abbey one. It's Terry White. Hello. Oh, are we, are we, are we trying to be nice again this week? Is that what yes. that was? Oh, OK. Should we see how this goes? Yes, how I'm long... going to try and not be mean to you. My mum will really appreciate that. Some people are concerned about uh, your emotional well-being. It's true. Um, so, you know, I'm going to try and be nice to you. And as long as you don't provoke me, then we're all good. <laughs> Listeners, think of this as a kind of drinking game. So every time Terry yells at me after having promised not to do it, you have to drink something. That's how drinking games work, right? Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Good. Exactly um, how they work. Good. But I'm, I'm not going to shout at you. I am not going to call you a bellend. I am not going to do <laughs> you an impression you're, you're of you. are disappointing yeah. thousands yeah. of listeners. It's the only reason they come. It's the only reason they come. There's a very small minority that care about his mental well-being. Yeah, but I they're quite we vocal. To, we can't, you know, we can't constantly think about those people. We have to think about the majority. Yeah, the majority of people who want to see me like a Christian thrown to the lions, yeah. being savaged by yeah. Terry's temperament. Yes. Also, you deserve it. <laughs> Does that count as abuse? Have we started already? Oh, God. <laughs> Stop being a baby. Excellent. Baby, not a bellend? No. No, no. no. Okay, I am good, not good. using the other B word this week. Just testing, just testing. We'll see how I this goes. I am going to be deeply pleasant. Okay. So, uh, in the spirit of uh, deeply pleasant things, uh, what total rubbish have you been watching this week? Well, I started the Banshee box set <gasps> You Bonanza. did? Yes, I remember this. Uh-huh. Okay, well, tell, tell the listeners. I watched... 
the I chose I went in easy, right? Because I could have gone in with something that I thought I was going to hate and really challenge myself, like Downton Abbey. Instead, I decided to go for something which is right in my wheelhouse, which is the fall, which is Jamie Dornan. Mm. Apparently, everybody else knows about this apart from me. <laughs> Jamie Dornan as a um, uh, psychopath serial killer. This is not a spoiler. This is basically it from the get go. Yeah, that's a setup. Gillian Anderson as the sexy, sultry, hard but takes what she soft, wants. Like selfish, single-minded, my kind of woman. Sexual woman. How much did you... Let's say it again. How much did you... Stop sex-splaining to Terry Boyd. (laughs) I missed the sexual word. How much did you love the bit where she tells him to pull the police car over and basically bring over an officer for her to take to bed? Introduce introduce us. And then (laughs) when he turned up at the door and said the hotel... So she basically says, oh, I'm staying in room such and such, such and such, and such and such hotel in her sexy voice. And (laughs) the best bit is when he turns up at the, the... door of room blah 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 in the hotel blah 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 sex um, hotel sex she, she goes oh I didn't know if uh, it's not northern but anyway <laughs> oh I didn't know if you meant it if you meant that and she went oh I meant that like, <laughs> that is actually a good in. impression of that her. was good actually oh, not so much of him but you know fucking amazing mm-hmm. um do, I'm obsessed with Jamie Dornan as this like like really handsome beautiful murderer he's like properly spun me out I was disappointed because I watched all of season one last weekend um, and somehow I became convinced didn't I that he was going to get caught at the end of season one so that was I was invested in how he was going to get discovered Um, you texted me quite late a little annoyed (laughs) annoyed because I, I got to the end and I was like hang on He's just fucked off. Like he's not been caught. And there was like, you like it... commission series two, obviously. Well, I didn't. I didn't get that. But I presumed there'd be a new killer or something. Oh. And I presumed he was going to get caught because there was an his last victim survived in season one, and there was an e-fit line drawing of him, which was basically him. And I was like, oh, he's done for. No, he's not done for. I mean. It is so dark and so weird. And I mean, you know, the whole thing about her being a selfish sexual woman is fairly like tropetastic. Um, and the fetishization of the dead, murdered, beautiful women and the kind of the way they juxtapose um, her having sex, consensual sex in quite a rough way and then him murdering women. There's some very uncomfortable symbolism Um but I'm all here for it. It's so kind of trashy, actually, and it tries not to be, but it fundamentally is. Like, it's trashy mm. as fuck. It's high-class trash. It, it is. is. It's very good. I've only given you the first two seasons, though, so you're going to be livid when oh. you get to the end of season two and you realise there's another one you don't have. Well, I Googled it then, and I was like, three seasons? Like, mm. just catch him. I want, like... I've a, <laughs> just effing catch him. Do you know what? I Maybe it's, it's, a, it's the modern age, right? I want instant gratification. Yeah. No, it's, it's, the, it's the fucking SVU-ness yes, of it. It's the it law is. and order. You need, you've got the law. You need the order. Yes, and it's the resolution. We've mm. talked about this before. Without the resolution, what do you have? You're all adrift. Yeah. So I literally last weekend, which was one of the hottest weekends of the year so far, um, I spent a big chunk of time watching, what, seven hours of television? Yeah. Yeah. You've reminded me of the launch of series two of The Fall, right, which I went to, and... Um, so they're all there, Gillian Anderson, him, and the writer-director, who is a man. He didn't direct the first series, but I think he directed quite a lot, if not all, of the second series. Mm. And there was quite a, a kind of, quite a scary um, 
conflict conflict about is this show misogynistic or not so someone in the audience did raise this question in the Q&A Gillian Anderson interestingly was the most annoyed by it mm. by this accusation the writer director kind of took it in his stride and was like you know how he said we know how am I supposed to depict a fetishistic serial killer without showing a fetishistic serial yeah. killing and I didn't want to flinch from showing it but Gillian Anderson got genuinely kind of quite yeah. annoyed that it was kind of not I may be being slightly unfair but almost that it was even raised but and yet you kind of you have to raise it don't you because it is such a problematic you do and it is very I mean the the, the way he murders them is quite beautiful yeah, and the right. way he positions them is beautiful yeah, exactly. their bodies are beautiful these yeah. are very beautiful women of yeah. a certain type that he kills which is his type that he loves but yeah I mean there's a whole ritual he goes through mm. when he murders them and the way it's shot is deliberately voyeuristic yeah. and fetishistic yeah. and all those things so it is slightly problematic it really mm. is I wouldn't say it's misogynistic because which that's about hatred of women and yeah. that's not what this is but I think there's something in the there's a line between um, showing stuff like that and it being titillating mm. and there are moments where it feels titillating which is I don't think it's misogyny I think it's just a little bit of like what they think you people will like when it comes to <laughs> I, um, murder I, I interviewed Gillian yeah. Anderson for the first series of this and it was without doubt one of the most awkward Oh, really? interviews oh, right. of my entire career because so Empire's Nick Samlin and I uh, interviewed Gillian in a very small little radio booth at our old offices uh, and she turned up on her own first of all and then wanted a coffee so we um, first of all we had this slightly awkward trip to Pret to get a coffee with her she paid for them actually she bought me one as well uh, and then we came back to, to the thing and we smoked about it and I don't know why but it was all about the intonation like I introduced her I said that's yeah, Gillian Anderson I, went, I said yes I've seen you on a TV show The Fall and for some reason instead of saying saying it's really good I, I came up with I went it's actually really good like oh well done you <laughs> and I just thought, <laughs> which was not a great start and then we started talking about the X-Files and for reasons that really just elude me I started talking about slash fiction you know so slash oh fiction is essentially when they start shipping normally oh, same-sex characters in a show. And I start talking about, oh, there's, there's a healthy slash fiction life in X-Files, you know, Crychek, Skinner, you know, porn writing stuff. And when you listen back to you, you can clear that she clearly wants nothing to do with this conversation whatsoever yeah. and tries to immediately shut it down. And yet I barrel on and oh, continually, yeah. and I, I continue this line of questioning and clearly won't drop it. And there's this point where you hear her just go, oh God. And so she just says, fuck it. And so she just says, fine, okay, let's get into this. And then she really, really starts talking about it. She clearly didn't want to, but finally the floodgates were open and she got really into it. She was a really good sport. And we went on, we talked about X-Files, we talked about all kinds of crazy shit. And then me and Nick kind of ended the interview after 45 minutes. She went, is that it? No, let's keep going. And we went on for like two hours. And the edited version, I think you can, is still online. It's an Empire, I think it's, an, uh, it might be an X-Files special. There's an X-Files special podcast interview with Gillian Anderson. And, um, at the end of it, I was explaining to her what COTA means, conversation on the rock. So when you're shipping Mulder and Scully, they have, in one particular episode of X-Files, they have a conversation on the rock where they kind of open up and they connect. And for fans who ship them, it's like the watershed moment. And she was fascinated by this idea, so much so that she had a T-shirt with conversation on the rock printed on it and wore it to a convention the next week, all based on my recommendation. I was going to say, this, so, <laughs> this is an entire story about, about Julian yeah. Anderson, which you are only telling to make yeah. yourself look the good. The point of this story is I changed Julian Anderson's life. Yeah, yeah. that's what for I'm the saying. Better. No, well, I changed it definitely for the worse at first and then for the better afterwards. As soon as I finish this podcast, I'm going to find the recording of this mythical... Oh, God, please don't. It's, it's horrific. I'm obsessed now. It's horrific. But... 
all in all, and I mean, I think the fall is uh, absolutely brilliant. Yes, thing. the fall is very yeah. good. Yeah. It's really good. Um, unlike really good, <laughs> really good. What I'm I've like been watching what? this week. Whoa! I thought I'd dip into. I got very annoyed with Amazon Prime because I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of it, but sometimes they just don't tell you about stuff. Nicholas Winding Refn, is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Winding 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 Refn, Winding Refn. Drive fame. Drive man. Brilliant film. He's got a 13-hour series on Amazon Prime that arrived about a week, two weeks ago. And as far as I'm aware, I ne- was never told about it, right? As a <laughs> mate, I feel like I am quite, you know, I don't want to big myself up, but I generally get told about everything. What's it called? It's called Too Old to Die Young. Do you know about it? No. Right. They didn't no, tell me either. Me I mean... So this thing arrived, and I don't know whether they deliberately didn't tell people about it because it is so extraordinarily weird. Is it a bit Neon Demon? It's more. It's Neon Demon times a hundred. Okay, great. I'm not watching that. Too old to die young. Right. It's ten parts. It's thirteen hours. So some of those parts, like range in length from about half an hour to an hour and a half. It stars Miles Teller as this grieving cop, and um, and you know how um, his male stars are always fairly catatonic in his Mm. films. Marcel literally is like hot, just almost like sleepwalking through, but clearly deliberately directed that way mm. to be not a character, just a kind of blank at the centre of this thing. It's got assassins, it's got Yakuza, it's got um, weird teenage killer killing gangs, it's got the most gratuitous nudity and sex you've ever seen. It's a whole thing is is lit and filmed in that neon, demony, neony, dark, imp- expressionistic, but mostly beautiful, I have to say, thing. 13 hours of that. It's hardly, it moves at, at the most, the slowest pace of anything I've ever seen on TV. And I include the Twin Peaks series. It's <laughs> like he's gone, I'm going to do what David Lynch did with the Twin Peaks series, the revived version, but slow it down by about 10 times. It's and yet I kind of I'm kind of I, I don't know whether I like it or hate it. Yeah, I was going to say, is it actually shy? Because it, it doesn't sound like it. It's actually it's is. the most indulgent thing I've one of the most indulgent things I've ever seen on television. But I right. think it might be in the I think I'll probably carry on watching it just because I'm absolutely intrigued as to where it's going to go. And it's so weird. It's got William Baldwin in it as a billionaire, and he's completely going massively over the top while Miles Teller's like not doing anything. It's completely. It's one of the most crazy things I've ever seen. So I probably will carry on watching it a bit. So I'm not sure is the answer. I'm a little bit pleased they didn't tell us it was coming. I know. But it's just bizarre. The whole thing is just completely bizarre. Anyway. Madness. And I finished Stranger Things, which I think is an absolute fucking triumph, as you, as we said last week. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? It's really absolutely good. It's a lol so fest. As, as we discussed, Boyd, it is in I fact mean, you're thinking a about comedy. It, you're thinking about it being a comedy is even more ridiculous. It, it appears that many people not. on social media have agreed with you and they've called me out to say, this isn't a comedy. I'm like, well, it made me laugh. It's not a comedy. <laughs> Fine. Fuck you all. And it, didn't, and it came out on Independence Day Thursday. And not yes, I know. <laughs> I called out and said, hey, guys, it's Stranger Things Day on Friday. And they were like, mm, no, it isn't. That was yesterday. Yeah. Do you want to know what I've been watching? Yes. No. Well, <laughs> thank you, Terry. <laughs> what are you doing with your hands? Yeah, well, you are, you've spread your hands like almost in a slightly messiah-like way that's right. on the desk. It's taken time. There have been many hours. It's been <laughs> taxing. I know what you ta- it, It's been a long road, is what I'm saying, but I finally got to the end of it. My Sons of Anarchy rewatch oh my God. is complete. I thought this finished last week. No, no. The last four episodes are feature length. Like, it's oh, quite, Jesus you know, sweat. intense. And I have to say, it was it was quite an emotional roller coaster because, like The Shield, it's dark. But the thing with this is it gets a lot bleaker as it goes along. The final season for this is really nihilistic, like deeply, deeply 
difficult. Nihilistic. Yes, <laughs> exactly that. And the last two episodes in particular. Now, there will be people listening to this who have not seen Sons of Anarchy, and I, of course, do now encourage you to go and watch it. In fact, Terry herself has not watched Sons of Anarchy, so I will not spoil the end of it. Um, the last season is not the best season. I don't think the nihilism necessarily does it any favours, but the end of season six, it kind of goes to a very dark place and it never really comes back from that place. But it was really interesting, like, re-watching the end of this and how, like, the last episode is kind of full of this weird sort of sort of messianic imagery. It goes a little bit sort of like, not quite supernatural, but like, so there's a homeless lady in Sons of Anarchy who just turns up randomly. Mm. Just, but she's always turns up at sort of pivotal moments pushing this trolley and she's clearly like a metaphor she's walking subtext and there's a bit where there's a character who has a dead mother and if you look carefully in her house you see the picture of her dead mother and it's the homeless lady and then she appears at the sort of in the very last episode in a very like is this supposed to be the grim reaper slash jesus slash something so there's something going on there which is quite interesting but so one of the last things and this isn't the spoiler but one of the last things the son of anarchy is a big chase sequence where uh charlie hunnam as jack taylor is on his bike and he's burning down the highway and he's got like a fleet of police cars and bikes chasing him so it's a big chasing except the thing with motorbikes is you can see the driver so clearly they have charlie hunnam himself on the bike because otherwise it's just mm-hmm. going be a stuntman that looks nothing like Charlie Hunnam. So, and they have these great helicopter shots where the helicopters going back and forth, going up and down the line of cars. But because it's Charlie Hunnam and there are health and safety protocols, they're clearly doing about 20 miles an hour. So you've got this really sort of leisurely Sunday afternoon drive down this freeway of him being sort of like followed by the police. And the way they've shot it, you think, are they trying to make us feel like it's in slow motion? Except it's not. They're just driving really slowly. And I found that really, really hard to get past. It's an incredible career um, Charlie Hunnam's had, isn't it? Going yeah. from being rimmed in episode one of Queer as Folk yes. in 1999 <laughs> to riding his own bike genuinely at 20 miles yeah. an hour in, in Sons of Anarchy. He's really, really good in Sons of Anarchy. Mm. In fact, everyone in Sons of Anarchy is really good. Uh, Maggie Sis, fantastic. Ron Perlman, who frankly should have been killed off the lot sooner than he was. Uh, he was really, really good in it. It's, I mean, it's a great show. It's not The Shield uh, by any stretch. I mean, what is? But, but it's written by Kurt Sutter, so you, it's, yes. it shares so much DNA with it. But I think uh, Sons of Anarchy deals with incredibly complex themes, but I think sometimes like the execution isn't quite up to the concept. Like It doesn't always carry in that way. That said, I do really, really enjoy this show, uh, and I do highly recommend it. So I can't banshee it for you now, and I don't you know how been, much it if is. If you didn't highly recommend it, because you've been re-watching it for the last ten years, it would be pretty Yeah, I feel a lot like anyone who listens to this podcast seven is, season yeah. rewatch and I'm not sure if it's really good yeah it's, um, it's there's a lot of episodes there so it is um, I've decided mainly because I don't know what Downton Abbey it's um, I'm going to start it next because y- you're not the only person who's recommended to me my brother has been on at me to watch Sons of Anarchy for the last two or three years there you go but so. but obviously you can watch that after Downton Oh. No, no, you promised me no. you would watch it. No, 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 no. I'm not, not I'm fair. not being unreasonable. I'm not expecting Terry to watch Downton? the whole of Downton. How, how much? She, she has to watch episode. the pilot. She okay. has oh, to watch the, the whole Fine. first episode and then report back on what she thinks right. about it for the comedy value. Right. But I, I will watch it for the next podcast. Okay. Episode one. You heard it here first, people. This is a promise. Terry will watch Downton Abbey for next yeah. week. <sighs> one episode. You're going to love it. I'm a fuck. And then you can get on to Sons of Anarchy. Isn't it first episode um, feature length as well? Yes! Yes, oh, there you go. Just bear that in mind. You just tricked me into watching 
Downton the fucking movie. No, no, Downton each the movie is, is released yeah. very soon. You can watch that as well. But each series of Downton begins and ends with a feature length episode. Oh. Just to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should probably find a Christmas special for you as well, but we'll see how it goes. Let's just let's just see how I get through it first. One. Christmas in the Highlands. Yes. <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> right, that's enough of what we've been watching since we've already been talking for at least an hour. Uh, let's move on to Funny or Dire, in which we pressure test the humour credentials of comedy shows through the crucible of my fun sponge nature. Uh, this week's victim comes from Palelepal, Palelepal on Twitter, and it is Bojack Horseman, Season 2, Episode 8, Let's Find Out. This episode involves a game show... And Daniel Radcliffe is in it. Terry, did you watch this? I did, yes. <laughs> please please tell me about that experience. Um, so I've never watched an episode of this, of Bojack Horseman. I <laughs> so, the way he's Bojack Horseman. 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 Which may account, which may be why I had no fucking clue what was happening. Um <laughs> It, I, do, I don't really understand. So essentially the episode is, um, he is on, he's a contestant on Mr. Peanut, but, Peanut Butters, <laughs> Peanut Butters game show um, where he's up against a mystery celeb. That mystery celeb, as you say, is Daniel Radcliffe. Um, uh, so I just didn't think it was funny. And there's like slightly weird things about women. Um and relate, and, and I couldn't really tell if it was like a gender thing or all the jokes were shit or just the jokes towards women were shit. I mean, I, I didn't understand most of it. Like, there were a couple of funny bits, you know, like you make a lame joke and they cut to the audience and there's crickets. Like, you know, that's kind of funny. Mold. That whole thing about colours, like what, what do you get if you mix blue and yellow and Daniel Radcliffe goes that artist is Banksy and that colour I don't, that colour is green. I just, I was like I don't get it. Is that meant to be funny? Um, I don't. I just didn't find it funny. None of it. What is the point of it? What is the point? It's not edu- like adult, like adult an- animation has to be like subversive or edgy or like. I just. I didn't. None of what. What's the point? It upsets me that you didn't uh, get a chance to watch the Rick and Morty one because I would have loved to have heard your take on Rick and Morty. Um, boy, you do, like you, do you watch? It? Do you watch BoJack? No. Um, have I, you ever? Yeah, I have watched it before. I watched it when it started. And I have to agree, I never got it. I haven't still not got. People love this show. They do. Obsessive. Like Rick and Morty. Like Rick and Morty. um, And I've always felt uh, there's something wrong with me for not liking it more than I should. And but I do agree with Tara. I, mean, I, I find it. Um, I can see what it's. Try- I, I feel like it's trying to make a very wry, um, self-aware um, kind of postmodern comment on pop culture and all this and, and TV Hollywood and Hollywood screwed, and all of yeah, that. I but I just yeah, I just don't yeah, I don't think it's actually that funny. Yeah, it's, it's the same issue I have. So. I don't like it really. Yeah, sorry, and it's, and um, I find it irritating actually. Yeah. Mm. I find very the, smug, very smug. Well, exactly. This is... So uh, apologies, but I just yeah. It's do you know what half hour American animated comedy, adult comedy, is really a weakness of mine. I secretly like when I see people go, "The Simpsons is the greatest show ever made." I'm like, is it though? Is it though? And I, at its best, I love it, but. You know, twenty however many fucking seasons there are, mm. I'm like, I'm over it, and I don't get, and I can ne- Futurama. Oh my god, do me a favor. So it's a real thing of mine. That I don't, I don't love the whole form of it, and I feel that is again a very personal taste issue because I should probably sit down and appreciate it more. But I don't, can't be bothered. Is my yeah, with budget awesome. Sorry. 
Yes. I mean, in the same way that I found Rick and Morty both smug and irritating, this this yeah. pulled on that particular yeah. wire for me again. No, I, of course I didn't find it funny. And uh, yes, I wanted to kill it with fire. Uh, it, I, it, it didn't it didn't elicit in me the same kind of sort of atavistic rage <laughs> that, that Rick and Morty did, where mm. I wanted to burn it to the ground and kill everyone who likes it. But this one didn't quite go there. But I just, I just watched this and thought, this is very try-hard. Like, it's trying to be so achingly cool uh that said in the interests of balance i had a chat with empire's john nugent who's a horseman or whatever they call the fans of this show like he's really into all that he loves animation actually he is massively like hot for animation uh, he likes rick and morty um and he says what he likes about it. He says, A, it's funny. But he said more than that. He said it's not, strictly speaking, a comedy. He says it's a comedy drama. He said, really? it's Yeah, he says it, what's interesting about Bojack Horseman is it's occasionally funny, but it veers into really dark emotional places. Right. Like, it deals with depression and all kinds of stuff. Like, it's not it's not an out-and-out comedy. I think mm. you have to get into the right headspace for it and actually has real emotional depth. And I think th- this episode maybe touches on that a bit. Like, you can see, and I think maybe if I was more familiar with it, I, w- I would get it more. But I can see that, that it's a little bit subversive it's a little bit unexpected uh, it's a little bit off kilter that said it is still very smug and irritating uh, and I will never watch it again but I you know it's like I, I, I appreciate that there's probably something in here to love but yeah. I what? won't <laughs> ever love it but what though all, of the, all of the things that I just smart. said that you didn't hear because you I were on your hear. emails I did hear but you didn't you didn't really identify any because it's not like the writing or is particularly smart like what well what John said it? John thinks the writing is excellent he says it's incredibly well written like really really smart really really observant I'm not sure a lot of that came across in no. this particular episode but again it's quite difficult I think when you're unfamiliar with this because sometimes you have to catch into the, r- the rhythm so the thing about this that most bothered me there's that assistant guy who gets the pen mm-hmm. who's like really annoying and I just like my hate for him was without limit like it was yeah. boundless I just... like the sea at storm I was struggling. I, do you know what? I actually started it um, four times because I started it and then I kept drifting off and I kept like get like it literally it was playing and I was like literally looking at a pigeon out the window. <laughs> I was like mentally sorting out the next book I was going to read in my head. Like I found it really hard for it to like keep yeah, my attention. Here. And so I kept having to restart it cause I, and I was like, maybe I'm just not getting it. Um, but I just think like the, the best adult animation, which does it so well. And I think The Simpsons is amazing. And I think the writing, I think it's proper funny, right? Oh, yeah, proper I mean, funny. compared to this, completely. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is proper funny and really clever. Yeah, and yeah. the observant stuff, because, you, you know, and you obviously it's trying to skew a Hollywood and, and celebrity. And I get all of that, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's done with any real fresh perspective or any real substance. So it just, the whole thing, I got to the end of it and I just felt quite empty. Yeah, and sort of filled what's, with self-loathing and regret. What's yeah, interesting, I think it's, in terms of the subject matter and talking about the entertainment industry in Hollywood, it, it, it shares a lot of subject matter with 30 Rock, right? And obviously, yeah, but 30 Rock's really funny. Right, so this is what I'm about to say. 30 Rock is so beautifully enjoyable and saying what it's saying in a, in a, such an inventive way, and I just feel like, give me that. Mm. You know, it's like the, that's why I kept thinking, I'm thinking, oh, I just want to go back and watch more 30 Rock. This is it was it was too. I, I thought I had to try hard to to yeah. get into it. Mm. I'm with you. I think the only thing I'll say in BoJack's defence is I think while it may not be overtly funny in the same way, I think that's deliberate. And I think it's it's necessarily trying to be that funny. But hang on, hang on. Are you genuinely saying you think it's not trying to be funny? No, I think it's because not trying was... to be a straight out comedy. I yeah, think it's, it's like, a comedy it's, drama. I but think that, it's, isn't that what a... they say about any comedy that's not, not been funny, funny. enough? <laughs> 
Uh, it's not funny. I mean, it's fundamentally no, no. so not funny. But, like, I couldn't even work out which bits were meant to be jokes and which were. Uh, granted, I didn't find any of it funny, but yeah. I do think sometimes it doesn't try to be funny and it has a sort of an emotional complexity that, you know, perhaps is, is good. And the tone what sort of goes from wacky. I'm, look, I'm going with what John has told me. I'm trying to defend this series that I hate in the interest of balance. <laughs> just cobbing emotional complexity without anything bring... to back it up. No, but I, okay, fine. Well, John gave me some examples that I immediately forgot because I didn't care. But nevertheless, uh, if, if you wish to know uh, what the emotional complexity of Bojack Horseman is, I suggest contacting John Nugent at Mr. Nugent on Twitter and he will help you out. Uh, was this funny or dire? It definitely wasn't funny. Whether that's intentional or not, your mileage may vary. Uh, but sorry, Palele Pal. Uh, Bojack Horseman and I could have told you this uh, did not pass my humour test um, next week's victim comes courtesy of Toke Myers and is ready mm. ready Flight of the Concords oh. season one episode seven drive by okay. okay so tune in next week to find out what we made of that one have you seen any Flight of the never in my life oh my god never in my life have I seen Flight of the Concords I'm not going to say what I mm. think you will Think? I think there's a very strong chance I'm going to hate it, but you never know. You no, never know. I know. I don't think you will. Really? I think you'll like it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's it's pretentious. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> right. QED. It's arch and pretentious, therefore you, twats, will like it. Yeah, that's... that's almost like calling me a bellend in all but name. I didn't say bellend and I didn't say twats. I believe it was implied. that's not the kind of person I am anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Shall we get on to news? Mm. Yes. Who wants to start? Me. Sorry. I believe Terry would like to start. I'm, I'm just going to say the big news of the week, which is um, Lord of the Rings, the Amazon series, has a director. That director is Jay Biona. It is. Um, which um, I think is exciting, even... Um, well, here's the thing. I didn't love Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, Who did? <laughs> you make um, a fair point. But I love the monster calls. Um, I think uh, Biona does um, emotional storytelling really, really well. And he can handle spectacle as well. Yeah. Um, whether it's always been done perfectly is, is neither here nor there. I think he's one of the few directors actually who really compare those two compare can handle both of those two things concurrently um and i think you know a monster calls was i mean just so incredibly rich in terms of um the character work of that and the emotion but also i mean the visuals in the monster calls were Mm. absolutely remarkable so oh the lights just went (laughs) off in the podcast studio lights have gone off Uh, it's uh, all uh, gone oh this is creepy should we keep it like this oh my god it's like the war so creepy it is it's it's the blitz it's like the war so um so yeah i think this is um exciting I am keen to see the universe and and his version of Middle Earth I think he is a filmmaker with great rich textured imagination Um, and I think it it makes it feel to me like it will be in safe hands but also he's not a fully traditional filmmaker so that means we could be surprised in some way by whatever kind of he brings to life. What do you think, James? Well, it's the first two episodes he's directing. I think I think it's yeah. good to have a name attached to it and a name like this, I think, is a good choice. Uh, I'm still a little... I have reservations Go on. about this series oh. just because, you know, uh, 
I don't oh, know. Oh, generally? Yeah, just oh, generally. Yeah. Not about him, just about the series generally. Does he not make you feel better about Very it? few things could make me feel better. I think until I... I'm trying to withhold until judgment on this, but I feel a little bit like this is going to do to me what the Hobbit films did to me, which is take some chips that I want to eat and then piss all over them. Uh, <laughs> so let's hope that doesn't happen. Or, or sort of some Lemba spread. They're going to uh-huh. piss on my Lemba spread. Um... I don't know. We'll see. I like. I, I very much want to see this, but I am. I'm full of portentous doom. Oh, like Christ. the eye of Sauron is glaring at Who me from you? atop Barad-dur. Christ. Here's the question, though. Like, because well, I, 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 I think it is good news because I couldn't yeah. think. I can't think of many directors who feel it feels more like a good idea to get them to direct this thing. Can I mean, apart from you know, I don't know, Steven Spielberg. Or something, you know, yeah. it's it feels that makes sense. It feels like oh, he makes it makes sense for him to do it. I feel like it's going to reach a certain quality level that you'd yes. worry about. Um, and and the fact that because the fact that they, he keeps he, he needs quite he reminds people that it's telling a story we've never seen before. Yes, set in Middle Earth. Yes, that's the key for me. I'm like okay, the Second fine. Age. Yeah. So you know, I I, I feel more optimistic about it. Also, so. this is a really hard thing to do well, and uh, Bayona has former. Doing the impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, so it's just mm-hmm. good because he did the film called, yeah. we, we're called aware, the Impossible. Anyway, right. Explaining your shit joke to us. Speaking of shit things, Gremlins animated prequel has got a series order uh, oh. from from Warner Media. So this is a half hour Gremlins animated prequel series, uh, which is getting ten episodes. It's set in nineteen uh, twenty Shanghai, and it's called Gremlins: Secrets of the Mogwai. And it's going to see it's it's going to um, it's going to tell the story of ten year old Sam Wing, who becomes the shop owner, Mister Wing, in the movie, uh, how he met Gizmo. Okay. Okay. Is that it? <laughs> well, I mean, there's. there's, I there's you say do you want some more details? Okay, fine. Like, there's going to be a teenage street thief named L. There's going to be. They're going to go on a journey through the Chinese countryside. They're going to battle colourful monsters and spirits from Chinese folklore and uh, and 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 Gizmo. There's some kind of legendary treasure, and there's uh, they're being pursued by a power-hungry industrialist and his growing army of evil gremlins. Excellent. Mm. Good. Terry's looking forward to that Can't one. Can be less yeah. interested in the TV show. Um, Mike Flanagan, you must be excited about the Mike oh, yeah. Flanagan news. Bring on Flanagan. Go on, do you want to do that? Flanagan. No, I have because I haven't written it down. Oh, okay. So Netflix has ordered a I mean, show called Midnight Mass from Mike Flanagan, who is, of course, the creator of The Haunting of Hill House and mm. and its upcoming sequel, uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, and this will be... Uh, I mean, it's, like it's an isolated island community uh, which experiences some miraculous events and frightening omens after the arrival of a charismatic, mysterious, Young Priest. Uh, it's another horror series, and I am down for this. Absolutely, without a doubt. I'm down for that. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, Flanagan's a bit of a horror god, so mm. I'm, I'm, I'm very on for this. Conversely, I am categorically, entirely, and enthusiastically not alone for Hulu's Four Wedding series. Did you see the trailer for this? Yeah. was an abomination against gods <laughs> an and men. abomination? It was. Wow. It was one of the most hateful things that have Ooh. ever gone in front of my eyes. I just, oh my God, was this terrible. Like it was, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do justice well, to what this honest, is. let's be honest, this entire idea is a terrible yes, idea. Yes, yes right? it is. But this just, no. It's got just quite no. a cast though and everything, isn't it? Like, it does. It's got some great people yeah. in it. But it just, I was like, I don't understand, first of all, why this is the thing. But also, it has no DNA shared whatsoever no. with Four Weddings and a Funeral. So why call it Four Weddings and a Funeral? 
Because that's this is the nature of the modern world we live in. But perhaps I think it's more confusing for people. So I do too. I think people like us who remember four weddings. Mm would go on that basis and then or be interested on that basis and then they completely throw that away by being like it has nothing to do with it mm. and the kids like probably won't remember or have the perception of it being like that film their mum liked that kids it just seems like it just seems like ridiculous messaging mm. you're either going to lean on it for a reason and use that as like you're jumping off board there's, it's taking the title but nothing else it's mm. just but not you've got Mindy Kaling involved like it's it's got yeah. good pedigree yeah. and it's got Miss Sanday in it in one of the main yes. roles but I just thought but as, uh, her, as her name is yeah as her name is like I'm really like I'm a massive Richard Curtis fan slash apologist so, so anything that takes his work and you know uncurtises it but he's, he's got his approval and everything he, well, he's exact producer is he? <laughs> does it have his approval or does it have oh yes he signed the back you of the massive that. check we gave him yeah while well, I'm going to do yeah. films with thingy <laughs> Um, I, I the, the trailer did look terrible. Um, I still I'm going to watch it though. I still I, may, I don't know. I'm still going to give it a chance because you never know. And yeah, I think it's just got good people and Mindy Kaling is great. And I can't believe she's saying that entirely shit. For anyone who has not seen the trailer yet, um, <laughs> this follows the story. Mind, trailers for rom coms are often terrible. Generally. Yes, yes. Like actually, the trailer for um, yesterday is terrible. And you know, I think it's well, lots of people film. think yesterday is terrible. I disagree. Yeah, I really I liked it. it but, um, I liked it as well. Yeah. But the trailer was fucking awful. So you know, I think it's an issue with. It could be an issue with the trailer. Is what I'm saying. Well, the story of this one is four American friends, Maya, Craig, Ainsley, and Duffy. Uh, they reunite for a fabulous London wedding, uh, but after a bombshell at the altar throws their lives into turmoil, they must weather a tumultuous year of romance and heartbreak. Relationships are forged and broken. Political scandals exposed. London social life lampooned. Love affairs ignited and doused. And of course there are four weddings and a funeral that was the official blurb oh give me a break yeah give me um, a break indeed uh the witcher oh actual, go on terry please actual, tell you the witcher story well, i love the fact that terry is doing the witcher story only because we were talking about this in a meeting the other day yeah. and mainly how um what's the word for how henry cavill looks in these first pictures um would we say wiggy 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 can't you see big wiggy um, style yeah, so I know very little about The Witcher. Apparently, if you are a gamer of some kind, you yes. will understand what The Witcher is. Yeah. Um, apparently, James, The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, is wildly hailed as one of the very best games of all time. Do you want to know what I did last weekend, Harry? While you were the watching the fall, three Wild Hunt. Yeah, <laughs> I was literally replaying wow. The Witcher Three Wild Hunt. You say Wild Hunt really fast. You know what it sounds like? Yes, I do. Massive cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to say it pretty quick for that, but sure. Um, yes, uh, Henry Cavill plays Geralt of Rivia, Witcher, Mutant, Monster Slayer. You're doing the voice again. I am, the smug voice. He has a long white wig, which looks a little odd. But actually, like the early like publicity shot where you first saw him as Geralt, it looked just ridiculous and was widely lampooned on the internet. He looks a lot better now. Uh, well, like you see him in, I mean, in, in the images that... To be fair, mainly because the bottom half of his body is covered in fog. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you only see half of his face, and it's a picture taken from quite a long way away. It could be anyone. Do you yeah. know what bugs me most about that? Looks uh, a bit like you, Boyd. Thank you. There you go. He has a lot more hair than either me I'm or often Boyd. Compared to, can I say what annoys me about uh, the picture of, of of Geralt Terry? As you can see, he only has one sword on his back, whereas anyone knows that a Witcher would carry two swords: one steel for fighting humans, and one silver for fighting monsters. What is this bollocks? Uh, there were also two other pictures released. There was a picture of Yennefer, uh, Yennefer of. Wengerberg, who is his um, 
his kind of well, she's a sorceress and becomes Geralt's love interest person. Wearing and a banging coat. Wearing a banging coat. And uh, and Siri, who is his adopted daughter. Fun fact, Terry. Fun fact. Siri's real father is the Emperor of Nilfgaard. Siri, the uh, yeah, Siri the with Siri with a C. Yeah, Geralt's just goes. AI. Hey Siri, how do I defeat a wyvern? Um, what did you call it? Nilfgaard. What? Nilfgaard, yeah. Mm. Nilfgaard. 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 Not Milfgaard. Okay. Milfgaard is a very different part of this world. Yes. Anyway, the the best news story of the week, though. Do you want to know what that was? Tell me. Louis Tomlinson, out of One Direction. Took to Twitter. What is happening? Took to Twitter on Tuesday to announce that he never approved the animated sex scene between him and Harry Styles that was featured in the last episode of Euphoria that went out on American television last weekend. Yes. So in Euphoria, which is the fourth, it's going on right now on HBO in America, yeah. coming to Sky Atlantic soon, and they've brought it forward. By the way, I can't say when, but it's going to be on sooner than originally planned. Okay, good. Had such a massive impact in America. Zendaya's in it. It's like we've mentioned it before. It's like very edgy, very explicit. Mm. Um, thirty thirty p. Drug, sexuality, everything thrown in. And in the last episode, the most recent episode, they have a bit where one of the characters writes fan fiction about Harry Styles shipping. and Louis Tomlinson. Slash fiction. She writes slash fiction about them having sex and they do an animated sequence of them having sex. And they didn't get permission. And Louis Tomlinson went on Twitter to say, I can categorically state I was not contacted, nor did I approve it. No. I can't wait to see this. Do you think, series. are they suing or are they just going to be good like humoured about it? He seems left it there, I think. I don't know if they can sue. Is there any, what's the legal well, yeah, basis? I, I don't say, know. Well, I mean, I think to use somebody's image, you would have to have permission normally. Yeah. Um, but, but in an animated version? But also, who wants to be that right, person? Exactly. Yeah. Right, Who, like, sues yeah. because why, why, is, does he seem upset about <laughs> he it? He seems or? mildly peeved but not that upset. Yeah. But I'm just coming over thinking, this is a show that has an animated sequence of Harry Styles and Louis Thomas having sex yes let's let's bring it on I, I really am looking forward to us reviewing this show <laughs> yeah uh, but that's not the big news of the week oh, okay. that's not the big news of the week uh, there is a Sandman TV series in development oh, yeah. at Netflix and that is pretty big news I mean they've got us about these Neil Gaiman adaptations now, haven't they <laughs> no, but, but, but again, this but... Th- this is what Neil Gaiman is famous for. Like right. more than anything else, okay. it is Sandman, and he yeah. and David S. Goyer uh, are teaming up to bring this to Netflix. And I mean, it's pretty exciting. Now, uh, I I haven't made it all the way through Sandman because I'm an idiot. But apparently, it is the greatest sort of graphic novel series pretty much ever written. A mm. lot of people tend to say that in Watchmen. Like people bang on about yeah, yeah, this a lot. Yeah. So this now yeah, saves me from having to read it because I can watch it on Netflix. There you go. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Do we do we'll just quickly? I mean, with this, we, you know, news could go on way too long already. Has gone on way too long already, obviously, as it always does. But Netflix um, opening fourteen stage studio space in um, in uh, Britain um, as the basis for its production is pretty huge. That's pretty. Is that just for Sandman? Thousands of thousands of jobs yeah. just for Sandman. Yeah. Yeah. At Shepperton, that is pretty exciting. I think because we we're talking right, quite recently about you know. Was this in response to the House of yeah. Lords thing? Yeah. This is what we're asking, talking about on this podcast. They thought, right, we're going to definitely ram home the fact that we're fully backing British production and we're making loads of stuff here. But it does show you the incredible power and ambition of Netflix. Wow. In this country. All down to Sandman and The Witcher. Uh, a final bit of news for you, uh, and that is that Pilot and indeed Empire need you. Specifically, we want to know about you. Even more specifically, we want to know about your podcast listening habits, for which we'll enter you into our prize draw to win 150 of your Earth pounds. Uh, And of course, if you're the only person who answers, then you're guaranteed to win. Uh, The survey only takes a few minutes, but you can find it at empireonline.com slash pod. Please fill that out. 
because our marketing department would like it. I wonder what you're doing there. It is now time for the reviews. And first up this week is the fifth series of Poldark, a show in which Aidan Turner's war veteran thrashes about in 18th century Cornwall during a time in which it seems tops, jackets and item of clothing that cover a man's upper half are imperiously short supply. Uh, in series five, our floppy-haired hero is faced with a former comrade-in-arms behind bars, peasants in revolt and a befrocked bellend having hallucinations of his deceased wife. Boyd, please explain this show to me. A befrocked bellend. <laughs> That's very good. I've never okay. watched this before. This I was know. my first Poldark experience. Now, this has been on my to-watch list for a long time because people okay. talk about it a lot. Yeah. From having watched this episode, I'm unsure why. Oh, okay. Well, I really like Poldark. Yeah, I've been a big fan of it since it came back. Um, I've watched every single episode. Um, I think it's got that thing where it's, you know, I mean, you know, you like Downton. It's got that kind of... It's no soapy, slightly Soapy in the sense of... You know, I never want to use soapy as a pejorative because, I, you know, I... I admire soap operas in many ways and but it has a very I think a great storytelling is what I mean great mainstream powerful impactful storytelling based on relationships and character development and the big central kind of love triangle throughout Poldark has been um, Captain Poldark mm. um uh, Elizabeth Walligan, played by Hyder Reed, and your George Walligan, played by Jack Farthing, who is the bell end you're talking about just now. Oh right, yeah. hang on, but so, what, what about the the his, uh, Paul Dark's wife, the the, yeah. the kitchen maid yeah. person? Demelza. So she's been, so she's not part of the love triangle. No, well she has her own separate. No, so she a lot of a lot of the drama of, um, has has come from her dealing with the fact that she knows Paul Dark's big first love was with this woman Elizabeth, who ended up marrying his mortal enemy. George and how she that impacts on everyone and yeah and, and is the little boy Valentine yes. Poldark's son yes because they, you can tell because he has the same floppy hair as right. Aidan Turner and that was a big a big storyline in the previous series was whose son is he you know how can she she had to like try and delay the pregnancy so that because George would have been furious if it turned out not to be his son <laughs> so all of that so it's it's that again that's why it seems soapy when you talk about it in that way but I think the great thing for me about Poldark right from the start was it does melodramatic um, very pacey fast moving storylines of that kind but gives them the time to breathe and um, due down to the the brilliant writing I think by um, uh, Debbie Horsfield down to the brilliant writing of Debbie Horsfield who's written every single word of every script for the whole thing um, I think she, she she does it really well so it all feels believable even though it is slightly melodramatic and heightened and um, I think this is a really interesting strong start to the new series Poldark so this is a big thing they reached the point in the novel series where there's a sudden 11 year jump and they had to decide what to do with that and I think what she's done is she's kind of um, dramatising it throughout this series so he's going to turn from what he was previously in the end of the last series into what he becomes 11 years hence and it's about him be almost becoming a spy and finding out what happened to his this old friend of his who's been imprisoned yeah. whose wife is an ex-slave and I think that's interesting it deals with slavery it deals with pol political issues quite with a very kind of lightness of touch I really like it and I, and I really enjoyed this I think maybe if I had been following this it yeah. would have been more intelligible to me because I spent a lot of time going I don't know who you are I don't know why I'm seeing so much of your chest I don't who I'm why can't you get a haircut? And isn't there any product available at that time? Because he's very bouncy. His hair was very, very bouncy. Um, but you're you know, obsessed with his hair I, and his it's, chest. It's the bald man's I mean, paradox. Why, I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. So sure. And then, then there was there were up there were angry peasants. Yeah, very angry peasants yeah, trying Demel to burn things. Yeah, Demel's um, has, has got to deal with some, some angry peasants. Yeah, yeah I mean. 
I'm but sure, he deals I'm with sure class fine. and money and the nitty gritty of you know like mining. Honestly, all these things. Mining, uh, mining. A lot <laughs> I of love mining. a bit of mining. Yeah, a lot of mining's gone on. Um, a lot of topless mining. Yeah, and um, I love the fact that she's de- she deals with the social issues of the time. Terry, you were patchily born down pit. You must have loved the mining themes here. Um, so I totally understand where James is coming from because I've never seen a single episode of Poldark and by God, did I have no clue what was happening. <laughs> to the point where I went and watched the final episode of season four just to try and understand what the fuck was going on. Didn't really help. You know, <laughs> woman dies, there's a baby, something about giving birth prematurely to trick somebody or other and some, like, running somewhere, like... <laughs> So confusing. Um, and also what I realised when I was watching this is that Aidan Gillen isn't... Aidan Turner. Aidan Turner isn't who I thought... Well, hang on. <laughs> Do you think it was Aidan Gillen? I thought it was Aidan Gillen. <laughs> so I was That's like, brilliant. when's Paul Dark coming in? <laughs> like, and it turns out he was there all it's, along. It's Killy from, from The Hobbit films. Yeah. yeah. Did everybody know? Or Philly, well, I forget. I mean, I've been watching it for five years and I went to Cornwall a few times to interview Aidan Turner. So, yeah, I'm, I was aware. I thought it was. <laughs> is he a celebrity friend of yours? He he's must be. He's a semi celebrity Because he's friends yeah. with Russell Tovey. He's very isn't good he? friends with yeah. Russell Tovey, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it's not, I have to say, it's not my cup of tea. It's very soapy mm. and, and it is slightly in a pejorative sense for me. It is mm. kind of, you know, quite trashy, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, I mean, there were. The, the filmmaking is fine. There were a couple of um, shots, which the opening shot mm. of the episode actually oh. was really beautiful. It's not like terribly made or anything, um, but it's one of those things, you know, people often ask us, oh, if I haven't watched previous seasons, yeah. can I like jump into yeah. this one? Absolutely, <laughs> categorically, no way on God's green earth. You will yeah. not have a clue what's Start at the beginning. It's particularly unfortunate in a sense because not only does this series, this is the last series of this iteration of Poldark, you know, as I say, because it's just reached this point where suddenly in the books they jump. So there'll be another Poldark? And they're all... No, no, no. Well, they could... What I'm saying is this is the end of this cast, you know, because they're all signed up for these five years. They could bring it back, is what I'm saying, in five years' time. Who knows? They could do. But this is the end of this these five years' Poldark. And not only have you reached the point... All the big character in the centre of that love triangle died at the end of the previous series. So there's that. Quite a few major characters have stopped being in it now all of a sudden. And now you've got a bit of a time jump and you've got a whole new storyline, which they bring in in the pre-credits sequence, right, involving this friend of his who's a new character to us and his wife, the ex-slave. And that's all new. So it's like it's a mix of you don't understand the the stuff that's hanging over from the previous. And there's a whole new thing (laughs) that they're telling in a slightly, in a very modern dramatic way as in we're going to start in the middle of this story and not kind of explain necessarily what's going on so it, it must be fucking bewildering is what I'm saying yes it, it, it certainly was that and there were many points on this where I was thinking I, I absolutely bet Jacob Rees-Mogg watches this show like there, there's like when, when, there's, when that bunch of sort of Tory chaps were walking on the promenade sort of braying about how well England was doing it I was thinking oh my god this is like watching well if he does all I'd say is this: the, the show is absolutely 100% a socialist tract oh okay fine yeah, so he probably doesn't 100%. enjoy it then yeah, it is. It is definitely backing backing the workers, and and as Poldark himself has done throughout. But he right. probably likes the chap who's Poldark's mortal enemy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Poldark's mortal enemy is a landowning, exploitative twat. 
So, yes. Right. That is Poldark Series 5, which airs on BBC One on Sunday, July the 14th at 9pm. But really watch the first four series first. Uh, Next up is the third season of HBO's Divorce, uh, created by Sharon Horgan. This stars SJP and THC, the actor rather than the active ingredient in cannabis, as a middle-aged divorced couple navigating the perilous waters of being consciously uncoupled. Here, in year three, SJP's Francis is trying to find a job and THC's Robert is trying to get his head around becoming a father. Terry, what was your verdict on this since you love Sharon Horgan? Uh, I do and I love um, Sarah Jessica Parker. I actually think she is a fantastic comedic actor. I think she's really underrated in that sense. Um, Oh, what was the film? Help me out. Um, The Christmas movie. Christmas um, with the Cranks. Family Stone. No, that's it. (laughs) Family Stone. Family Stone. I love love that film. Same, I love it. And let me tell you, she is brilliant in it. Mm. She is absolutely brilliant. Anyway, so... Don't they all hate her? Yeah, but he's he's to front and then they like her at the end and don't worry. Um, So... I've only ever watched one episode of Divorce before and I gave season one a go and it wasn't, it didn't quite work for me. It didn't quite have the quality. It wasn't quite funny enough. The story wasn't that great. And fundamentally, I was quite underwhelmed and disappointed by it, I have to say. And I don't think it's the fact that I haven't seen the previous two seasons. If you just take this as an episode of television... It just felt quite weak. So as you say, they are a couple who divorced. She was essentially um, caught having an affair. This is why they ended up getting divorced. Um, And the situation they're in now is that her husband, who is, as you said, Thomas Hayden Church, who... I think he's actually one of the best things about it, his character. Um, and he's moved on and is um, remarried and is they're going to have a baby and he's clearly dealing with the divorce much better than she. Um, I'm sure this will turn around because it is written by a woman. It's, you know, it's made by Sharon Hogan, exec produced by Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, there is a little sense in this episode of kind of getting what a sense of like... You know, you cheat on your husband, you get divorced, you kind of end up in a a shit flat with things mm. crawling up the walls and no job and you know. So what happened? No, Did she cheat on her no, husband? Um, yeah. Oh, so didn't know and that. no, you know, and and uh there's a there's a real contrast in how both of them are faring in the divorce. I interviewed Sharon Horgan um at an event earlier this year and she was talking about, you know, with divorce, really about kind of showing the realities of divorce, the painful kind of bits, the not trying not to feed into all of the tropes that exist around divorce and showing the reality of it. She does that with motherhood. She does that with, um, you know, if you think about catastrophe, that's essentially the kind of waltz and all of a real marriage and, and parenting for real. And I know that's kind of, she's spoken before about that being her intent with divorce is to show a true kind of non-perfect picture of divorce but I just didn't feel like it really connected the characters I'd Sarah Jessica Parker's character I just you know I could take her or leave her quite honestly mm. I didn't feel any real connection to her the writing didn't feel that sharp to me um the relationships I wasn't really that invested in it was it felt kind of fine which is an awful thing to say because who wants to be who wants to make fine television um and i do want to say that i'm basing this on having seen one episode and i don't want to kind of rubbish an entire show 
based on that, but just based on this one episode, it just m- meh. Yeah, like Sharon Hogan's not written them since the first season, has she? Right. So no. she's she's connected to it, but I don't know how involved she is creatively. Yeah, it's very interesting. Still, yeah, yeah, the case of divorce. Divorce because I've watched I have watched all of it, and I really liked the first series. Mm. I really really liked it, and it, and it had and, and what was that unique original um, concept of a of it's her who's had the affair yeah. was the big powerful unusual i mean amazingly it still was an unusual rarely seen thing in tv drama or comedy that a woman is having an affair is the is the starting point for the divorce yeah. and how that impacted on him was really funny and interesting on the kids and it was all and it was it felt new and fresh yeah and i think sean Hogan's writing was so key to it because it did feel really snappy and witty and um, it's got a great supporting cast but all the way through, even in that first series that I really, really liked, I had a slight nagging thing that the characters I really liked were the ones played by Molly Shannon and Tracy Letts, who are like their, yeah. their best mates. And they're this like heightened, they're the funniest bit of the whole thing and still are. So now he's in prison because he, he he completely like, you know, was ended up being a massive financial criminal. A bit like the storyline in um, Big Little Lies yeah. is mm-hmm. at the moment. And she's amazing anyway, Molly Shannon, being furious with it. So there's a scene in this episode where he, she goes to see him in prison. In and prison. that's by far yeah. the funniest it's bit. really good. I want the whole thing to be Where about them. Where she bullies them. the prison yeah. guard. Yeah. So I want the whole thing to be about them. I want more and more and more of them. In the same way, you know, in Will and Grace, like everyone prefers really yeah. the supporting characters because they're funnier than Will and Grace who are actually a bit boring and nothingy. That's the way I feel about this. Is I feel SJP's character is just a bit nothingy. Yeah. And, and they've let it slide. I feel like this show's kind of slightly been let slide by HBO and everyone and it's now gone down I think this series is like six episodes six. it started out as ten and the second series might have been eight it feels like the whole thing slightly tailed off a bit unenthusiastically you know I, I didn't even realise they were doing a third season to be honest until a couple of weeks ago when suddenly it arrived you know <laughs> on, on the schedule well this so, is going to be the end as well this is right? the end so yeah, announced six, this is it it's yeah. cut to six and they've kind of put out statements yeah. saying oh you know mutual yeah. decision yeah. And but as you say it feels like it's mm. kind of petering yeah. so I agree with you in the sense that I just felt as an as an episode of of you know of top quality comedy drama on HBO and Sky Atlantic, it's not of that level. It's just you just compare it to you know recent comedies, um, and it's just not consistently sharp enough the dialogue mm. or, or the situation it feels a bit tied like the fact that she's mm. working in the art gallery that felt a bit tied in series two it's like felt mm-hmm. we've seen that in girls a bit and it felt similar now she's got a new job it's quite funny when she gets this new job kind of by accident in this episode but quite funny is doesn't none of no. it feels enough mm. yeah right it's now. very inessential i mm. would say uh, this is the sort of thing where had it come out in the sort of mid-90s she'd be like, oh this is really good but i think now in the world of peak tv it is not essential viewing that is oh, is that what you're saying about that it is that what is what I'm your that's it, it. My did you watch just, it yeah, no I did I watched watch it I watched the whole thing the I, I forgot thing. I haven't actually really said have I no, no. you only have one oh. sentence fine okay yeah fine well my considered opinion on this then Boyd is that I found it quite dull uh, I did watch the entirety Fair of this enough. particular episode I did follow it because it was relatively easy to follow I did not particularly enjoy her character I didn't find her particularly compelling I didn't find her particularly funny I found the tone a little bit odd because it veered more towards comedy than I expected it would. Uh, I enjoyed Thomas Hayden Church enormously as this kind of lug nuts yeah, type, him. like, yeah. and his like the way like he was dealing with this much younger wife yeah. and all the bits about that. And I, I like that he wasn't like they didn't deal with the fact that he's kind of an older father dealing with that. It didn't feel in a stereotypical way. It was actually quite a fun way. Yeah. And I enjoyed her Sarah Jessica Parker's dynamic with him, that awkward kind of outside the house, all trying to be really 
you know, civil and yeah, we're being really good at about this, but it's mega awkward and no one's saying anything. Well, there's that inc- there is that good scene in Bed Bath and Beyond where <laughs> yeah. he picks up somebody else's kid and like yeah, turns great. around yeah. and hold and like holds it in the mirror like it's a <laughs> like a bag or something yeah. and and notices that he looks quite old in that moment and he's asking them he's father or grandfather them, and the mom, mm. father or grandfather and she's like uh that that will be my child. It's great, but I yeah. and it's funny because I warmed to him and his character. Massively, yeah, so did I. Massively, he I enjoyed was, him a lot. And, and you're right, Boyd. Actually, about um, about uh, Tracy Letts, Tracy Letts and and Molly Shannon. Yeah. Like but that see, scene in the prison is brilliant. But they felt like a different show. Yeah, yeah. it exactly. felt like a different show. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed that scene, but I was like, I'm sorry, we just walked into Arrested Development season six. Like this, yeah. it felt like it wasn't the same show from a tonal point of view, yeah, exactly. and it felt like a better show as well. Um, mm. So yeah, so that was that. Like so. Going back to my, what I thought was a nice, concise summation, inessential. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, that is Divorce, which airs on Sky Atlantic and now TV mm. on Monday, July the 8th at 10pm. Uh, finally this week is Dark Money. Uh, this is a show about child star Isaac Mensah, played by Max Fincham, uh, who returns to the UK and his parents after filming his breakout movie role in the US. Celebrations are cut short when Isaac reveals that the film's producer, called Jotham Star, molested him during production. His parents attempt to deal with this and the money they kind of accept for their silence and and, and that is essentially the backbone of this four-part miniseries. Now this is pretty hard to watch and it also cuts pretty close to the bone in terms of shall we say recent headlines around certain powerful people that our lawyers I'm sure would prefer I didn't mention. Um, I can't possibly say I enjoyed this, but I think it was very good. Like It's very powerful and it's handled with, I think, a sensitivity that really surprised me uh, and a subtlety that I think really worked. Now, Terry, this is surely right up your alley because it's miserable and full of abuse. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Um, so this, can I just check before we carry on, how do I pronounce um, Levi David? Levi David Adai. Adai, yeah. okay. Uh, yes, James, this is, as you say, right <laughs> up my street. Um I thought this was really, um, uh, I'm going to use this word, everyone's using it at the moment, the hate, but really authentic in terms of creating a real family life. So this is a, a kind of working class, normal family who, as you say, this this terrible thing happens to their child in the States and uh, they end up being paid off um quite a lot of money it's a life-changing amount of money for that was it three million quid mm. see, see, this this was an issue for me i was like you got lowballed mate i was like three million quid like they could have tripled that no problem well but yes anyway but it and, is and it's, it's low funny because actually they told the story of that in the credits like there's that, yeah that, and it talks it. about they talk about ndas yeah. and the credits you then which is funny because you they don't reach the settlement till the end of the first and, episode yeah, but it it's all really given away in the credits yeah it was really weird choice mm. i think to make it flashes up the check with three million yeah. on it so mm. you instantly know and then as you say there's like and news it, reports and there's like um, not news reports there's like um, contracts which are clearly the NDA and, and, and the show starts in obviously the new house they've bought yes. with the money which let's be honest they bought the house they'd have nothing left anyway London prices but still carry on but so I really loved there's an I really loved the, this kind of realistic depiction of a family um, so there's a bit where they're in the car together he's picked them, he's um, picked up his son Isaac and uh, Chesney Hawks the one and only plays and yeah. it's a really lovely touching kind of really naturalistic scene so you really believe in them as a family which I think is important but it is incredibly um, kind of distressing at parts there's a scene the scene in which they find out oh, what's God. happened and I won't say how because it's it's important that people see it for themselves 
it's really difficult to watch, actually, and there are moments which are really difficult to watch, but you really believe them and you believe um, what they're going through and the kind of all of the mixture of emotions, guilt and um, responsibility and shame and all of the things it brings up between them when they, A, find out what happened and then... Um, except the money. We should say, you know, this was written by also the writer of Dami Lola, Our Loved Boy, um, Levi David Adai, um, who I think has done a fantastic job um, with the script. So uh, the performances are really strong. It is, you do need a bit of a strong stomach at parts, I have to say. Um, and it's interesting because you watch it and you presume it is based on some of the very famous cases we've mm. seen. Obviously, not just the Me Too movement, but specifically some of the cases around young boys. Um, but you interviewed him, didn't you? Um, Jimmy boys? interviewed you, him. Oh, Jim, Jimmy yes. Inter- yeah. Jimmy Famrera, one yeah. of our freelancers, interviewed yeah. him. And he said it wasn't inspired. It's been, it's been actually in the works for much mm. longer than kind of the Me Too movement, for example, and it wasn't actually inspired by any of that kind of stuff. He was um, fascinated by the by the trust parents mm. put into people um, and have to put into people each and every day. I mean, even the, the very nature of the fact you send your kid to school and put your kid in the care of somebody else when you're not there. And that was actually the kind of thing that inspired this show as opposed to a specific um, case. But obviously it does feel very resonant because of that, because the man who is um, who abuses her son is a Hollywood filmmaker. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it there are parts of it where it does feel... It, it is quite BBC drama in places, right? Do you, yeah. In the nicest part, it's a bit BBC drama Sunday night <laughs> drama. It's, it, there's a there's a couple of maybe quality gaps at places, but it's a minor quibble. I yeah. think it's really well mm. done in the main because they have to depict one of the. I think one, yeah, one. It's, it's I, I can't I can't think of many stories to tell that have that must be this difficult. Yeah. to tell on on a BBC budget. Yes, yes. With all due respect to the BBC. And make it authentic, as yes. you say, because not only you have to, to depict the really thorny, difficult stuff mm. that is at the centre of it, also have to depict the world, the milieu, if yes. I'm using that word, of Hollywood films yes, exactly. and producers. Exactly. And so there's all of that to deal with the premiere. In episode two, um, there's have to depict the whole premiere situation and they have to depict a chat show, him going on a chat show, clear boarding, plays herself. I have to say, just a brilliant job in episode two of playing the host of an entertainment oh, show, wow. like The One Show, and she interviews the kid and the stars of the film. And I think the only so my, yeah I, I think the, what I think we're hinting at and I agree is the only flaw in the whole thing for me is that I wish they'd given it an, a little bit more money yes. for those you elements can tell, of it. There, yeah. there are there are just parts where you can tell the budget hasn't quite yeah. stretched yeah um, and it, and in that case in that sense it does rest a lot on performances yeah do you know what I mean because yeah. you really have to believe in this family being real you have to believe in this terrible situation they found themselves in um, and what you're mainly kind of invested in is this family and how they're going to kind of try and um, and build themselves back up and repair the fractures right. in their family. Yeah. But I thought what I loved about it is that it kind of takes this really difficult situation and it's, it asks that question of what, A, what happens when uh, your son has been abused by this Hollywood producer and, you know, he, he dramatises those scenes yeah. unflinchingly 
and brilliantly re- I felt that was so real that the, all the everyone's response to the father played by Babu Cisse is like, can't, like yeah. can't even begin to deal with it can barely look at anyone in the eye and it's like he's very, churning very up he's good. brilliant mm. Jill Halfpenny is his wife I thought was great yeah, she's, she's like, great and they have other shoots as Jim as, as our, in our piece in Pilot in the magazine points out it's also about the step family situation so mm. there's a complex family situation he, his relationship with um, his having a relationship with a white woman his previous relationship was with a black woman yeah. and there are mixed race issues of ethnicity and race that he deals with head on particularly as it goes on because um, I've seen more episodes and that becomes a really interesting element um, so there's just and there's some brilliant honestly there's some brilliant scenes between the kid and his slightly older sister who also wants to be an actor interestingly mm. in episodes two and three like there's a big conflict between them and he de- and it's really bold I think to have two young actors in long dialogue scenes of conflict and they're really young and yet they're doing it brilliantly and brilliantly naturalistically so I think it's a real a bit of a triumph to try and do something so difficult and thorny um, and yet it absolutely is convincing and I think in, and budget issues aside I think it's brilliantly directed and acted and, I, and I'm really impressed with it and written yeah no I agree I, I thought this is extremely well executed like you say like it, you, you do feel the budget in places but it doesn't, doesn't detract from it at all and the performances that you, uh, are Babu Cissé in particular oh, yeah. I think really just yeah. the way it's a very nuanced that would have been a very easy thing to sort of do in a very obvious way like but he reacts to it sort of with with, a slight, with anger but with sensitivity with sort of grief and then the way he wrangles with you know what do I do do I honour you know my son's wish to keep this silent do I talk to this reporter do I split to the mm. solicitor you know how do we deal with this do we go to the police but they've got no jurisdiction in America you know, they explore all those different aspects of it. Um, the, uh, Rebecca Front, I thought, was incredible as well as the, the woman, chaperone. She was supposed mm. to be. A, she was his chaperone. Yeah. In while you he had was one job. Yeah, and she then becomes in the publicist who's who's taking him round to all his to do all his publicity things. And I thought there's a scene where she is has is is. Yeah, without spoiling it, it has to be confronted with the abuse that he suffered. And that, I thought she was so absolutely phenomenal yeah. in that scene. And she is brilliant. And brilliantly believable as mm. a publicist with a conscience mm. who is racked with guilt because she was supposed to be a chaperone but, and is now dealing with the fallout. It's, it is really good. It's very good. Four parts, that one. First one drops on Monday, July the 8th at 9pm on BBC One. Do they all drop at once? No, so they're showing, slightly, they're showing two a week. So they're showing it Monday and Tuesday and then the following Monday and Tuesday. Okay, well. Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. Mm. Well, we're seeing that is dark money and what will we say our pick of the week is dark, dark money, money. I mean, it is for me I was just yeah. wondering whether Boyd was going to go in a no. shot for Paul Dark but no I love Paul Dark but dark money dark is, money is, it special, is yeah. right before we depart today shall we have a quick banshee Boyd yeah do you have something you'd like I to do. share this is inspired by I. this week I had the honour and privilege of hosting a Q&A with um, of This Way Up which you can also read about in Pilot TV magazine um, is Ashling B the comedian uh, Ashling B's mm-hmm. big new um, comedy drama series with Sharon Hogan with Sharon Hogan playing a sister and um, they were brilliant and it's a brilliant show and they are very funny but they met Sharon Horgan and Ashley B met years ago on a show called Dead Boss which was on BBC3 in 2012 and it was a prison set comedy very broad and funny and silly oh. and not only are they in it but Jennifer Saunders is in it uh, Lizzie Roper's in it um, It's and it's really funny and brilliant and I love the fact that they met on that and they became best mates immediately on this very funny and you know how and I asked um, Sharon Horgan and I was like talking about how this way up is feels like mm. another one, another you know, uh, a very 
realistic, authentic, use that word again, character-based comedy that is as much dramatic as is comedic. And I said, you know, do you think that's the way comedy is going? And she's like, yeah, but you know what? I'd actually like really like to see some silly, stupid comedy as well. And that's what Dead Boss was. It was really silly and funny and silly. And find it and it's brilliant. Good, good. That was the winner of this week's Banshee. Um, but I might as well do one as well, you know, just for form, really. So, okay, I want to talk about Sports Night. It's going to be my Banshee okay. of the week. So this is uh, this was Aaron Sorkin's first TV series. How has it taken you this long right. to do Aaron Sorkin's first I'm pacing TV things out. I'm pacing, I haven't done the newsroom yet either. Have I done the newsroom? I did yeah. Studio 60, oh, I didn't I? Did, or did I might. do the newsroom and not Studio 60? I'm confused. Yeah. I forget. I, well, anyway, I've definitely not done this one. So uh, this this one ran for two seasons from 1998 to 2000 uh, before it was cancelled. And it starred Peter Krause, Josh Charles and Felicity Huffman <laughs> before she was cancelled too. Uh, this was a sitcom about a fictional sports, sort of sports news show and the production team who put it all together while fighting against a kind of difficult network. And it was loosely based on ESPN's Sports Centre uh, and the two shows that and the two hosts of that show. Now, so this was a sitcom, but it was also a Sorkin show. And therefore, being Sorkin, it was more like comedy drama than than, than straight-up comedy, which might explain why I like it. Um, the first season, though, hilariously has a classic sitcom laugh track, and which the network insisted upon, and does not work at all. Like, can you imagine, like, The Office with a laugh track? Like, that's oh how this plays. It's, yeah. it's an abomination and it's so so jarring uh, thankfully uh, at the end of season one the network like Sorkin managed to say to them look we have to lose this so they got rid of the laugh track it's not in season two and it's vastly improved because of it um, now this it, Sorkin I believe originally conceived this as a as a as a book but he reworked it as oh. a series and, and it became a sports night um, and because it was Sorkin as you would expect it was gloriously written it was very very funny loads of people on this went to work on the West Wing in fact the West Wing the, the production was kind of over Overlapped. So the first season of The West Wing overlapped with season two of this. And uh, at one point, Sorkin was writing both shows simultaneously. And that's kind of what a lot of people say is the reason why this died a death, essentially. Because... Um, Sports Night was uh, Sports Night was cancelled by ABC, uh, but HBO and Showtime were apparently sniffing around and were going to maybe pick it up, maybe not. But Sorkin had kind of decided at that point he couldn't do sh- these two shows simultaneously. He wanted to focus on the West Wing, uh, and that is a shame. However, I'm very glad he did it because it's the greatest show of all time. All hail the West Wing! But Sports Night is good as well. Both seasons of Sports Night are available on DVD as a box set, but I don't know for how much because it's quite hard to get hold of. But you can get hold of it on eBay and import it and do stuff with it I've got it at home you can't have my copy Um, but you can get it it exists can I just say we've been doing the last 10 to 15 minutes of this podcast in total darkness we have been doing the podcast the the lights the lights went out and while they went out earlier in the show and I went and turned them on again I can't be bothered so we're just going to do this in the dark Um, so I think there's a clear winner yes so do I well done Boyd (laughs) you know for excitement and passion and sparking my interest and you know really understanding what Banshee is and what it represents the winner is Sports Night I don't it's a trap I am stunned it's a trap it's not a trap I believe this is a trap I believe this is Terry Terry sees the writing of the wall sees that her evaluation of the Banshee was about to be axed (laughs) <laughs> we were about to eject this sentence, so you pulled it from the jaws of defeat. Well, no, it was just, it's funnier after three weeks of giving it to Boyd automatically to give it to you yeah, to, that, mess, that was to mess with You're your right. mind. Yeah. 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 So. yeah, that was a good bait and switch. Oh, that's Thanks, very good. Babe. And on that objectively hilarious moment. 
And that is it for another edition of the Pilot TV podcast. Uh, you'd imagine that everyone listening to the podcast would have already given us a five-star rating on iTunes, but you would be wrong. So if you are one of the stragglers, then please do take a moment to give us all the stars. Uh, also, if you find us entertaining on here, then you'll doubtless find us amusing on social media as well, at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Uh, if you haven't already, then do be sure to nab some tickets to our first ever live show on Friday the 13th of September at the London Podcast Festival. Tickets are available at kingsplace.co.uk now. We'll be back next week with more of the same, by which point I hope to have found yet another impossibly long series that I can rewatch slowly over the course of several months while providing regular status updates to Terry and Boyd on this very podcast. Pilot out.